My name is Ronika Jacobs and you found my podcast, Strive for More, Your Best Life Now. While there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, you've taken the time out to listen to this one. So for that, I would like to say thank you. So without any further delay, let's get to it. Let's strive for more. My next guest, Bertine Crevacore-West, is helping people strive for more in the area of conflict resolution. Bertine is a conflict resolution strategist, learning and development subject matter expert, best-selling author, and award-nominated podcast host. In addition to having been a nationally certified healthcare interpreter for over a decade, Bertine's work and training led her to the fields of cultural competence, diversity and inclusion, and soft skills training. As the CEO of Westbridge Solutions, Bertine has empowered hundreds of people and has served as a keynote speaker and panelist throughout the United States. In this episode, she will discuss the importance of clear communication and why communication wires often get crossed between parties. Hi, Bertine. Welcome. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. How are you? Hello, Ronika. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here to share this space with you. I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I actually took a break for a couple of weeks, and I did not have any interviews just to kind of recharge my batteries. So you are the first guest that I've had in a couple of weeks. And you know what? I feel great, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. I'm excited and honored to be here with you. Wonderful. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your professional story and how you began training on conflict resolution. Alrighty. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the hopefully shorter version of the longer version. Um, so my professional story actually started with me getting laid off from my only job here once I moved to Atlanta when I was three months pregnant. And they were I was working for a law firm because my background was in um, working for investment banks and for law firms. And so. What was super interesting to me was that they were going through a layoff period, and I was the last hired in my department. And so, of course, as the saying goes, the old adage, last hired, first fired. And I had never been laid off before. I had no idea what to do. And I was a grown-up. I literally had to call my mom and ask her, what do I do? Because I didn't know the process that one goes through after being laid off. And to couple that with expecting a baby, you know, my husband and I were just like, okay, well, this was an unexpected twist to not have a full-time job anymore. But then 
I should also say it was a job that made me miserable. And so I tend to see things definitely from a more positive side. So I saw this as an opportunity to do something now that not only I, that I wanted to do, but that I was good at. And I had to couple those things together. And at the end of the day, I wanted the baby who is now a big boy uh, to be proud of me. So I really wanted to find my life's work or what would be my life's work. And so I decided to do what, what I love to do, a SWOT analysis. So I did a, an internal SWOT analysis, if you will, and I wrote down the things that I was good at, what were my strengths, what were my weaknesses, you know, um, what were threats and what were obstacles. And quite honestly, then I had to overlap all of that with what was I good at, what do I want to do, what am I good at? What don't I want to do? Because sometimes the things that we're the best at are not necessarily the things we want to do. So I was seeking both my professional and my personal happiness because I knew then that would be the only time that I could fully throw myself into this world of entrepreneurship and truly have a chance of being successful at it. So. What I started to do then um, was to reach out um, to people that I knew. I looked at my resume for the things, as I said, that I did the best. And one of my skills was that I'm, that I'm multilingual. I happen to speak four languages. And I thought, okay, I use that as a skill when I worked for uh, an employer for a company, so why don't I use that as a skill now? And so that led me to the world of translation, and I had known some other people who are translators full-time, and I reached out to them, got information on that, uh, made sure that I learned the technology involved with translation, uh, because it's very different than I think most people think. Eventually, um, once I got my, my foot in the door, if you will, I started my business, and 95% of my clients were in Europe, so I had to be on multiple times zones. I was doing all of this while I was seven months pregnant. And then um, after my son was born, I was still doing this and, and running this translation company. And a colleague had mentioned to me, why don't you get involved in interpreting? And I'll preface this by saying that translation is the dissemination of information in a different written form. Interpretation is either the signed or the spoken form of changing that information. And so I got the training that I needed to get for interpreting. And I decided to focus on legal and healthcare interpreting. And at first, um, I focused on French, and then I focused on Haitian Creole as well. So again, my market was still global because, ironically, people that lived, let's say, in Ireland needed uh, translation into Haitian Creole, which I never expected because of projects they were working on abroad. And so I eventually became the first nationally certified Haitian Creole healthcare interpreter in the state of Georgia. So that was really just a wonderful achievement for me because I had to really teach myself how to speak medical Haitian Creole because that's not something we discuss with our families at the table, right? No one's talking about lungs or hearts or, or you know, organs of any sort. And then after that, I eventually joined an organization called Ming, the Medical Interpreter Network of Georgia. And some years later, I became the president of that organization and we spearheaded some amazing awareness projects and I'm very proud of to this day. And then I just decided to take all of that interpreting and translation knowledge that I had because my work in interpretation took me into cultural competence and cultural awareness and that morphed into what is now Westbridge Solutions and so we focus on cultural competency, diversity, equity, inclusion 
and soft skills training. So at the end of the day, we teach people the skills that they need to be successful, and hence our slogan is empowering professionals for success. And by success, that could be internal success, meaning you've learned a skill that you're very happy with that you can use in your personal life, or professional success, skills that add value to your business acumen, skills that add value to your company, skills that align you more with the vision and mission of that company, which leads to the success of everyone there. Wow. Talk about turning lemons into lemonade. Yes, I know exactly what you mean, that whole the last one hired, first one fired, because I went through a layoff this year, too, during the pandemic. And luckily, I landed on my feet, and I'm, I'm still employed and, you know, thankful to, you know, by the grace of God. It's wonderful. Thank goodness. Yes, indeed. I never thought about doing a SWOT analysis, even on myself. That was a really good thing. Okay, so let's break down in the most simplest terms. What is conflict resolution? In the simplest terms, conflict resolution means being in opposition with something or someone. So a, a clash, if you will, a disagreement. Uh, but on a deeper level, um, I take conflict resolution to mean either an internal conflict or an external conflict. So an internal conflict, meaning there is something within you that is either not sitting right or something really that you are lacking that you want to learn that is a roadblock, an obstacle for you, if we go back to that SWOT analysis. And externally, this could be a conflict that you have with someone else, let's say at, at your job, because that's where we focus that external component as well. So that external component can be an apparent one where it's an open conflict with somebody, or a hidden one where the conflict is, is kind of just lingering there. There's a tension that exists. It prevents a team or a group of people um, at a company from working to their best and from being effective. And so that, that stops a company from honestly being productive. And so that's where I come in. Okay. So... And I, I'm sure this has happened to you. I know it's happened to me. And, you know, to the listeners out there, I'm sure this happens to you. I feel like I communicate very clearly uh, what my expectations are or I, I communicate very clearly uh, whatever it is I'm trying to communicate, whether, whether it's a task or it's an expectation or it's a desire. Mm -hmm. But some kind of way people at times still misinterpret things <laughs> that you say. So how, how does that happen? I, I mean, as clear as, you know, possible, I, I, it, and people still get things mixed up. What is that all about? Well, I think it's about two things, quite honestly. It is about, first, knowing, Socrates has a saying that I like to use all the time, and that saying is, know thyself, right? So first, it's about knowing yourself. You already said it. You know what you want to say, and in your mind, you're saying it as it, you're saying it plainly as you mean it. But, the, the, and this is where conflict can arise, the issue with that is that we know what we want to say, but we don't know how the other person is receiving that information. So Socrates was right, know yourself, right? Know thyself. But I would add, know the other person as well, right? So we, we do have to not only not only say what we mean plainly in order to achieve clarity, but we also have to ensure that that person who's the recipient of that message is able to, to understand what we mean, how we mean it. And that's where the difficulty can come in. Uh, that, makes, that makes sense. I can totally see that. Um, I guess people 
their interpretation or their their comprehension is only at the capacity that that they have. I'll even I, I will say that, but I'll even push back their interpretation because the honest is actually on us, right? Their interpretation is at the capacity that they have, but the honest is on us to expand their capacity to receive that information. So I always place the responsibility not on the message receiver, but on the message deliverer, the message giver. So it's my job to ensure that you, Ronika, understand what I'm saying right, in the way that's going to be beneficial to you. And by beneficial, I don't mean that it's going to, you know, help you win the lottery or anything like that or make you happy even, but it's going to provide you with clarity as to my message and my intention. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and because I love that you brought up, you know, a, a message that someone wants to communicate. All right, mm-hmm. so there's Black Lives Matter, right? And yes. so some people, when they hear Black Lives Matter, they immediately push back and they say all lives matter, right? So then now there's this conflict, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so one, one side is, is saying, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that your life doesn't matter because you're not black. And then the other side mm-hmm. is saying, well, why are you saying only Black Lives Matter, you know, right? Right, So right. Then there's all these, of course, other high-tension events happening. And so out of all of that, there was this need to elevate black voices lately. And then all of a sudden, companies are now hiring diversity and inclusion officers. Mm -hmm. What is this position supposed to achieve? Well, I will say this. Um, with reference to Black Lives Matter, I this is a source of my frustration um, because it was about language. Because if I had said Black Lives Matter too, then there might not be this particular argument happening, right? Um, But because I'm saying Black Lives Matter, this is where this actually might be a good thing because it opens the door for conversation. It opens the door for clarity so people can explain what Black Lives Matter mean. Because if I say, you know, people with cancer's lives matter, some, or if I say something along the line of people with brain cancer, their lives matter, someone is not going to say to me, well, people with breast cancer, their lives matter too right? Because that just would be a strange and honestly illogical, irrational response. So when people do give that pushback, there's an opportunity for the deliverer of the message, right, to expand the conversation by creating a space for clarity. And so with regard to your question about diversity officers, I do have to say, I think the role of the diversity officer is really to lead the development and the implementation of proactive diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And normally that is in support of a company's strategic plan, but sometimes what I've seen is that companies don't have a strategic plan. So when they do hire these diversity officers who are ready and willing to get in there and do the work, because diversity is dirty work. You have to roll up your sleeves. It's a garden that must be fertilized in order to really enjoy the roses that bloom, right? And the roses are included. The roses are equity, right? Diversity is is just some seeds that you sprinkle on there, but it's about doing a lot of of really emotional work. And the problem sometimes is companies don't have a strategic plan, yet they hire for the position. The company that will be successful and then the diversity officer that will be successful is the one that walks into a company with a strategy in place already. Speaking of strategy in place, how best can businesses encourage diversity and inclusion? I mean, I can't be as simple as, well, just 
you know, hire somebody of color, right? Right, you can't right. <laughs> right, you can't just go out there. And, there's a black person. There's a Latin person. There's an Asian person. There's a person that's you know LGBTQ. Let's hire them. I mean, they exactly. may not be right for Exactly, right? So much. That happens so much. And I say this. There, there's a saying, because I love quotes, because they, they just come in handy for everything in life. And I'm paraphrasing this one. But, you know, just because you have uh, ten fingers doesn't make you a concert pianist, right? So just because I happen to be a person of color doesn't make me um, educated enough and qualified enough to train diversity. So first what I would say is people need to seek out those who are qualified and trained. And that is not always somebody who is a person of color. And I want to make that clear simply because um, we are, I think that a lot of times as well, we tend to miss diversity and whiteness. And that's why most diversity trainings don't work because it's about um, a person preaching to white people about everybody else. And I approach diversity as a mother of a young son. I approach diversity the same way I would teach kids, is that in the most basic way possible. So we cannot teach diversity and inclusion if we're preaching to one group about every other group. We have to talk to every group about every group, right? And so that's part of the reason why diversity trainings that I've taken across the country have not worked and why I sought to create one of my own um, was because I was seeing the same thing after these diversity trainings. People would leave feeling angry, guilty, sad, mad. No one was ever glad, that was for sure. And then it was usually done as a punitive measure and not as a proactive measure. So diversity, in my opinion, trainings um, for diversity have to be done proactively. That means before something happens. That means when you onboard your employees, they have to walk into a culture that is welcoming to diversity, equity, and inclusion training. Because again, it's great to have different faces right? That's a part of diversity, but only a small part. Um, because when people look at me, for instance, um, they may make an assumption about who I am, but in cultural competence, your eyes will deceive you. Um, who you think might be one of you might be another. Um, and then, too, terms such as, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. My family happens to be from Haiti, and so my first languages were um, Haitian Creole and French when I was really young, even though I was born here. And I didn't learn English till I was five, simply because in our household, um, those were the languages of our culture. And so what was interesting to me is that people don't know that Haiti is also a Latin country. It's Latin American and Caribbean. So if I say that I'm a Latin person, uh, when people see me, they are, they are always shocked. But then when they hear my voice, and then I show up at the job, let's say they expect, because they see the name that's a French name, they expect somebody white and European and, and blonde, you know, to be walking in there. And then when they ask, well, if you're, if you're Latin, do you speak Spanish? I do happen to speak Spanish, but speaking Spanish doesn't make me a Latin person. So there are so many levels to diversity, and I think it's really important for us to be as educated as we can as diversity strategists, trainers, officers, but from the company perspective, it's really important to open the door to more than just performative diversity measures. So having different faces is great, but how do you retain those different faces? Having members of the LGBTQ community is great, but how do you retain them at the workplace? Having women is great, but how do you retain them? Because getting them in recruitment is one thing, retention is another. And usually, people are recruited for, for diversity, for usually, people are recruited through diversity initiatives, but 
in order to retain them, you need inclusion initiatives and equity initiatives in play. So this has to start even before the employees get to the door, before they even get hired. And I understand what you mean when you say that you've, you know, you've done trainings or known of the diversity trainings and everybody leaves upset <laughs> yeah. because there's so many ambiguities when it mm -hmm. comes to cultural competence. And, you know, there's so many unknowns about another culture and mm -hmm. you have your, you know, your presumptions and then you have your own biases and you try not to have your prejudices, but they, you know, I mean, you learn what you learn from your family members, right? And your yes, parents yes. and, and they say certain things. And so you just kind of grow up believing them. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I want to talk about the, the, the two terms lately along those lines as we've been, you know, entering into this space to try and have these conversations about race, um, which is actually, you know, falls in line with conflict resolution, yes. um, which is the, the two terms of white fragility and black fatigue. So mm. I know both of them are, lo are loaded. <laughs> so loaded. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, you know, can you kind of talk about these two terms and why are they being thrown around? Why are they so important right now? Or even period. Yeah, and I love that you asked that. Even period, you know. Um, I will say this, part of the problem, and this is, well, race as it's known commonly is an American phenomenon. And, and it wasn't, the classification thereof wasn't intended for, for, for malevolent reasons per se, um, it was intended to keep track of people coming in, right, and knowing which services they were getting because the Irish were not considered white um, way back when. So they were considered a different racial class. So, so we have to look back into history as well. And of course, with slavery here in the United States and that, that original sin, that stain that slavery is here, race also became a component to divide people and keep people subjugated. And so having said that, as time evolved, we, we are now seeing these terms white fragility, which we didn't see 10 years ago. We didn't have a name for it, but we do now. And then black fatigue, which is also not something new, but now we have a name for it, right? And so with regard to white fragility, that essentially is when a person feels, a white person feels discomfort or defensiveness um, when they are confronted by information about racial inequality and injustice. Right? Quite simply, that's what white fragility is. Black fatigue is when, quite honestly, and, and I will say, um, as a trainer of diversity and inclusion and as a black woman, I know that I have experienced this, as have many colleagues of mine in this field, black fatigue is when you are simply exhausted at having to be the ambassador um, of all things black, when you have to consistently explain things over and over again. And it's also when you are just tired, of, literally tired, of having to go through hurdles and ordeals by sheer virtue of your race. Um, simply because you are in the skin that you're in that you love um, and you're treated a particular way by society. And, and sometimes society can be within your own family. Um, black fatigue is a real thing, as is white fragility. So these are two loaded terms that can pose just any, a cavernous amount of space for conflict. And so that's why I always say it's important for us to have clarity, to be, to be clear in our message, but to also ensure that the person who is receiving our message understands 
what we were trying to say. So the honest is on me to ensure that that person receives information in the way that I am intending. Now, you can't be a mind reader, and this is why conversations have to happen. And this is why I dissuade people from having, you know, these types of conversation on social media because there is not enough nuance um, to be had on social media. That is why um, diversity trainings, um, quite honestly, I think I've taken some that have been online as well. and. And by online, I mean um, recorded and, and no human interaction. And so those, to me, are not the most successful trainings at all. The ones that are the most successful trainings are the ones where you have to be a gardener. You have to get in there, roll up your sleeves, have conversation, plant seeds, sow the, the seeds, water them, and then you can smell those roses. Um, and so that is why those two terms, we not have to be careful with them, but we have to be very clear as to what our objectives are when we're using them. And this too, I will say, um, I borrowed this from a friend and colleague of mine named Dawn Christian, and she um, has a, a brand called I Belong, and it's a wonderful company that she's created so people can understand the sense of belonging. And so Dawn imparted upon me something that, that I've come to use quite often since that first conversation, and that is about creating psychological safety. We need to create psychological safety for people, and one of the methods that we can, by which we can do that is to find a commonality that they may have. So with Westbridge Solutions and Global Fluency, our hashtags are leveraging commonalities, understanding differences, right? So we want to show something that somebody has in common with somebody else and build from there. And when through that building, we can celebrate differences. But it is important for us to acknowledge those terms, but we have to be very clear as to what our objectives are when we're doing that. Just like you said, I mean, I, as a black woman myself, um, you know, I have had some moments <laughs> where I am pandemic. <laughs> you know, it is not easy. And sometimes I just want to be a girl who married a guy, who had a kid, who goes to the supermarket. I don't want to have exactly. to anything or do anything because at the end of the day, I'm neither exotic nor mysterious nor any of, you know, the stereotypical accolades that, that, that are thrust upon us, right? Um, and it's really important to just remember at the end of the day, I, I always say this too, um, with LGBTQ plus families, their families, like everybody else, people have to, you know, when you get married, you pay bills, um, you have kids, you, you do all those things. So there's nothing exotic about it except it might be a different lifestyle from the one that you currently have. And you can say that about a variety of lifestyles, right? So there are days where I just want to be a girl that shops at the grocery store and makes dinner. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. I, I, I feel the same way, you know. You mentioned when people kind of hear your name and then you show up, you, you, you don't look like they expected. I'm a black woman who happens to speak fluent Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, people ask me, okay, so then what are you? Um, right. You have to be from another, you have to be from the Dominican or you have to be from Panama or, mm -hmm. like, or Cuban. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm from Texas. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? I love that you said that you're from Texas because that should be, that's your reason enough, right? To speak to other people who live in Texas who speak Spanish as well. Like, why do I need an additional reason, right? Because I face right. this. Or an additional identity. I mean, yes. that's just it. Yes. This is um, just a language, extra language I happen to speak. 
and exactly. you know I, I don't have to explain why there's no reason <laughs> exactly because I, I want to and I like it the end <laughs> and that's really it it's really it it's a language that kind of picked me right so and I've spoken it my whole entire life and it has served me well so I appreciate it <laughs> although I love the Latin people and if you want me to adopt your country or you want to adopt me as a part of your country I'm good I'm good with that I'm okay <laughs> with that love it love it <laughs> All right, Bertine, you have a podcast. So can you share with the listeners about your podcast? Sure, Anika. Thank you for asking about it. Um, it is, you know, as podcasters, we, we love engaging with people. So this is more of that. Um, it is um, my second podcast, and it is called um, the Global Fluency Podcast. And it is to discuss all things diversity. So yes, of course, we discuss race, nationality, and ethnicity, but we also discuss neurodiversity, um, socioeconomic differences, um, the LGBTQ plus community, diversity of thought, age, um, generational differences, different communication styles. Recently, we've even had um, a conversation, though it's not a political uh, podcast, we discussed um, communication styles when we examined um, an author's book who came on the show, Claudia Clark, talking about the relationship between Angela Merkel and President Obama. And so it was this really great dialogue that we had. So the Global Fluency podcast airs once a week. Uh, new ones, new episodes air on Tuesdays, and you can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, and anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a great time. I love that I get to interact with all of these amazing people from all across the world. Um, I do believe in living locally and thinking and acting globally, so it is a, a fantastic um, experiment and, and fun time. So I encourage everyone who can, um, when you have a chance, listen to the Global Fluency Podcast. Well, Bertine, you have been an absolutely amazing guest, and this conversation has been great. I am definitely going to have to have you back on because I have so many other questions I want to ask you. <laughs> Thank you so much, but, uh, but I do awesome. have, yes, yes, I do have one last question, which has nothing to do with the topic we've been talking about. I guess I tend to be a little nosy, <laughs> so I always have one last question. Okay, so what's your favorite color and why? Okay, I love that question so much. <laughs> uh, my favorite color is orange, and specifically for two reasons, um, because orange is a calming and relaxing color for me, but it is also a color that's meant to empower and strengthen. So um, within me, I'm a Gemini, and so I, I feel like I do have those two sides where there's a part of me that likes um, to be in a peaceful place, but there's also a part of me that, that always wants to empower others. So it's this, this really great duality that I get to exist in, and so orange for me represents that. It's a calming place, but it's a force of nature. It's like water, and I liken it to... Um, to the, the monks, Tibetan monks, who wear the color saffron and sometimes orange because they are peaceful, but they are powerful. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate you. Wow, Bertine. Uh, you know, I figured this was going to be a great conversation, but you have far and exceeded my expectations, girl. Oh, <laughs> you have far you so much. You are, honestly, this was so much fun for me, and I really enjoyed my time here. This was, this podcast is fire, um, simply because I knew it was going to be great going in, and you made it such a wonderful experience. So, Ronika, I can't thank you enough for being a fantastic host.
Oh, thank you. Well, can you do me a favor? Can you please take the time to let everyone know how they can purchase a copy of your book, which is called Global Fluency 2, Allyship in Action, 50 Tips for Empowering Individuals and Teams, or seek your services? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So Global Fluency 2 is out right now, Allyship in Action. It is um, the sequel to Global Fluency, my very first book. And so what this does is give you 50 tips on everyday actionable items that you can do. These are small steps that you can do to create um, an empowered and inclusive workplace or a community, quite honestly. And so um, where you can find this, you can go to uh, my website, the Westbridge Solutions website. It's westgrouptraining.com. And um, you can go to the book section, and there you'll be able to find it. Also, you can find our services at West Group Training as well. Any last words of encouragement for the listeners as they strive for more? Well, I always say this. Um, get uncomfortable. Stay uncomfortable. Have uncomfortable conversations. Push yourself to a limit that you didn't even know was possible because at the end of the day, you are worth it. It is worth it. Representation is important. Not only, and, and I will say this um, as my parting words, it's really important to lead not from the front and not from the back, but from within, because we are the dream, the goal, and the example. People are watching you to be your best self and to break boundaries. And that's not easy, but it's so worth it. Wow. We are the dream, the goal, and the example. I love it. I love it. Well, Bertine, I wish you and your family nothing but blessings and abundance for your future and whatever it is to come, please take care. Thank you, Ronika. Thank you so much. And my best to you and all of your listeners out there. Take care and stay safe. Are you interested in growing your business? Then send me an email at striveformore at email.com. You can advertise and spotlight your business on one of my episodes. You can sponsor one episode or a targeted episode, or you can sponsor multiple episodes. I would be delighted to help you grow your business and expose your product or service to a brand new audience. Continue to strive for more and live your best life now. See you in the next episode.